Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. LMFM Podcasts, brought to you with Cark Macross Credit Union, where dreaming of warmer climates becomes a reality with a Cark Macross Credit Union holiday loan. O'Neill Street, Cark Macross, or CarkMacrossCU.ie. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now, michael at lmfm.ie. Wednesday morning, the 17th of April. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The board of the FAI has confirmed that a restructuring plan is to be brought to the FAI annual meeting in July or at an earlier meeting if necessary. At that point when the new structure has been put in place, the existing board will step down in the best interests of football. This is according to the president of the FAI, Donald Conway, in a letter to the Minister for Sport. Shane Ross said, he wanted the board to step step down sooner. He told the Oireachtas Sport Committee yesterday the board is part of the problem. Absolutely yes. It is imperative, he said, that they step down. I would like for them to step down before the AGM. That is my desire. The minister said that there would be no capital funding for the FAI projects until he was satisfied. Its governance was in good standing. And uh, two major investigations into finance and governance are now underway, one by Mazars, the other by the Office of the Director of Corporate Enforcement. Fergus O'Dowd is a Fine Gael TD for Loud and he is the chair of the Oireachtas Sport Committee. He came in to us uh, this morning to tell us more. Yes, well, first of all, we were very surprised to find out just before the meeting I was asked to meet with Kieran Mulvey and John Tracy from Sport Ireland and they told me that they had been just informed that in fact that a, a complaint had been made about the company not holding or not keeping proper accounts to the company records office and that was a very serious matter indeed because the charges, if there is charges, they would be actually criminal in nature. So I was shocked at that revelation mm. and... Uh, the other thing we discovered... This was the, the auditors, Deloitte, yes, uh, yes, yeah. who, who had... Who, ha, who had, on the letter dated the 12th of April, mm. had informed the company records office that mm. they were not keeping proper books. Uh, and, and now the onus is on the registration office to inform the ODCA. Yes. Uh, and uh, to do that, they fill out what's called a H4, H4. form. Yes. Yeah. It's only the fourth time this year that such a form has been filled out, or in... Uh, the last 12 months. In the yeah. last 12 so months, I beg your pardon. The it's first time... 
first time this year that such a form is being filled out uh, and the fourth time since 2018. Yes, and the other point is that in the next day or so, it may be today, I'm not quite sure, perhaps mm. tomorrow, the detail of the complaint will be revealed as well so we know what they're saying and what year it was because all of the accounts have actually been audited so the light have already signed off on all of these accounts so there's a huge issue over the fact that they have now discovered that there are issues in relation to account keeping and how they didn't discover mm. that before they signed off on the accounts that's a huge issue for them anyway we, we discovered all this just as mm. the meeting began so uh, it was a long meeting it went on all day it feels like all day and all night yeah. uh, but a, a lifetime at this stage yeah, I imagine every, yeah. everybody mm. got mm. their say and the outcome is that the board uh, the board will be resigning they will be resigning at the latest in their annual meeting in July mm. but there is provision and we would all welcome including the minister an earlier annual meeting an extraordinary annual meeting to get a new board in place mm. now the new board the letter doesn't say that they won't stand for the new board and the electors for the new board are the 60 representatives around the country so that's a serious issue mm. because you now have a gap you have a, a new chief executive being appointed you have a board in place who are going to resign and we want to make sure that there's due diligence done on the company and that there is the capacity and the uh, the advantage to the FAI now mm. is to get the best possible advice, to get the best possible board and the best possible chief executive and as to have a renaissance or a renewal of, of football right around the country. Now, you didn't hear from the FAI directly yesterday. <laughs> this information was it given went, to... It went to letter to the minister. Shane Ross, the Minister yes, yes, sorry, with Responsibility yeah, for Sport. Yeah, Shane got that letter mm. yesterday morning and he gave it to us during the meeting and we accepted, of course, that he didn't have sight of it before mm. the meeting. So it was mm-hmm. just all coming out, just like we're talking and, now. And, and do we know the basis on which the board has decided to resign? Well, we don't, other than the, obviously the fact that they have been reported uh, collectively uh, to the company records is a very serious thing. Uh, I I did call mm. last week for regime change for all of them to resign I've, and other members have as well. So I kept the pressure on. I made public statements, both on RTE and, and other media, say that they had to go. And also I called for a forensic audit mm. last week. Three times I asked, three times they said no. And I think we're at the point now that there will be a forensic audit of the company, which means that every single issue, every uh, every accountability for every scrap of pen mm. expenditure will be done forensically, which means everything will be gone through. So there will be no hiding place, as I think I said last week, for even one euro. Mm. And if there is any wrongdoing, each individual board member is in a position whereby they may be held responsible. It's the board has been reported, Mm. the the corporate board, so the question is who knew Mm. and who didn't know, and that's obviously a matter for investigation. And this could result in fines? It could fines in up to 50,000, and Mm -hmm. it could result in a jail sentence of up to five years, so Mm. it's incredibly serious. Mm. I suppose that... um, you know, it's it's shocking for the families and the young people, particularly that play soccer and people that stand on the sideline in wet and cold mm. weather and, and, you know, they, they dedicate their lives to the sport and, and they enjoy it. So 
this is a huge catharsis, cathartic mm. change. Uh, so we have to make sure that... And something a is astray, I take it, uh, whether knowingly so or otherwise. Uh, and I suppose that would be the basis uh, for determining whether a prosecution yeah. is the right option or, or not. Uh, yeah. But something is astray. And that's oh, what, no doubt that's what that. Deloitte has discovered. Oh, there's no doubt about that. And, and there are already two companies in there. There's Grant Thornton and there's Mazars. Both of those companies are professional accountancy bodies with lots of skills and knowledge, but both of them are being paid for mm. by the FAI and none of them are, are accountable to the taxpayer or to Sport Ireland. And mm. my point yesterday and the point of a whole forensic auditor, as I said, is done by somebody from outside of the FAI or their sphere of influence or their pay. Mm. I believe the government should pay if it's Sport Ireland, fine. I have no problem with that. They pay for the audit. They do it. And I also have concerns that Mazars um, are dealing with the with the director of corporate enforcement, but because they're being they're, they're the people who are paying them is the FAI. I'm not suggesting they're doing anything wrong at all, mm. but I would prefer the paymaster to be the taxpayer in this case, no connection with the FAI at all, and that the taxpayer's uh, representative, both the record office or the the, the corporate enforcement and mm. Sport Ireland do their own business and pay their own bills. Okay. Uh, the board will resign uh, and uh, there is uh, this investigation which will undoubtedly uh, apply retrospectively to the former chief executive, uh, John Delaney, uh, as well. But Mr Delaney now has uh, assumed this new role of executive vice, vice president. president. Yes. Uh, what is his position? Is he to resign well, we, in July? Because Kieran Mulvey of no. Sport Ireland spoke yesterday about a gardening holiday. What does yeah. that mean? I think what it means, uh, you see, what the statement, if you read it, uh, I know you've read it, but uh, it said that he, he volunteered or uh, he proposed to do that. Mm. But what the statement doesn't say, what they did as a board, did they accept that or did they put him on gardening leave? Gardening leave is a euphemism for... You, you, while these issues are being investigated, uh, there's no judgment against you, but you're not allowed to work. So you're you're sitting at home and you're being paid your salary. Uh, so we don't know the status of him right now. He, and and that is a hugely important question. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, clearly, it's my view and the committee view that he should resign forthwith. And in fact, they should all go. Uh, but the problem then is the vacuum. How you fill the vacuum, mm-hmm. and how you make sure that the best people. Are, are, are in place, you know, so that, that is a problem. Uh, and what else is to happen? Is there to be the involvement of the revenue commissioners, as Noel Rock was uh, suggesting yesterday? I think he was suggesting the involvement of uh, the Guard of Fraud Squad. He did, we, he did, he did mm, say that. Well, I mean, the question is uh, how were the books kept? Uh, not, what, mm. what were they doing? I don't know what they were doing, but clearly it's a very serious matter. Mm. Uh, and the author, the author didn't find out till after he said the accounts were fine. I mean, there's huge issues here, absolutely huge issues. So whatever it takes to get to the truth, we have to get it. And whatever must happen, must happen, uh, obviously, with due process, but as quickly as possible. But investigations by those bodies yes, yeah, are by the guards, possible. By whoever. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if, if somebody is exposed to a criminal prosecution, I mean, I presume it's the guardee who take it or... I, I don't know actually who I presume maybe the director of corporate the director of corporate enforcement mm-hmm. takes it but like it's a criminal matter like it's a, theoretically you could go to jail and what about 
the saga, the ongoing saga uh, uh, from uh, the Oireachtas Committee's point of view. Where do you go from here, or is this the no, end of the road? No, it's not. No, we, we'll have a meeting. The next meeting is on the eighth, uh, the eighth of May, and I think the position we'll, we'll we will have more information then. Uh, some we haven't discussed it now. And in fairness to mm. Melda Monster, she played a very important part in this as well yesterday and last week. Uh, I, I think that I would, what I would personally like to see is that we would bring in the director of corporate enforcement. Now they won't be able to talk about their investigation, but we see what protocols you know should mm. be in place. What is good governance? We, we have a role to bring in uh, to our committee, you know, people who can maybe help and explain to people how best to go forward. Uh, but we're not a body. <laughs> it, that mm. educates people, but I think I think we have a big role to play, along with, of course, the minister and the government. And like, there's mm. a lot of good, there's huge goodwill mm. out there, and there are lots of people with brilliant ideas. Mm. I mean, there's 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 Niall Quinn, you know, there's Brian Kerr, mm. there's lots of people who have huge commitment and love for the sport, and maybe we should be hearing for them. I spoke just privately to journalists yesterday, and I was saying that they have a huge influence as well. And mm. I mean, you know. Like they, 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 you know, they know everything really, and I believe that reading some of their articles, they're very informed. But the public need to know that a the board are gone, the process by which the new board will be there, mm. the advantage they'll be given in terms of knowledge and support. One of the big questions: yeah. Who appoints the new chief executive? Is it the existing board? Mm. They could appoint Mr. A or Mrs. A, and then they're gone. And you don't, you know, mm. you, what I think the new board should appoint the, the new CEO, and they should be in place as quickly as possible. Okay, because it's but the they, existing yeah. board that will come back with a restructuring proposal in exactly. July, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. I don't mm-hmm. think uh, mm. no, there is there is a. Uh, the Sport Ireland, John Tracy and Kieran mm. Mulvey, they've insisted that there will be an, uh, uh, sorry, a governance committee mm-hmm. with the majority of people on it are outsiders and that they have appointed a spe- per- person with specialist knowledge to chair that. But nevertheless, they report back to the FAI. So unless the board actually agree, you can't mm. actually do anything, even though they've no choice right now. And what about everybody else? Uh, the people you mentioned earlier on, uh, the clubs, uh, the players, yeah. uh, the managers, uh, the grassroots, yeah. uh, the funding has yeah. uh, been stopped. Uh, yes, what yeah. next? Uh, well, we spoke about that yesterday mm-hmm. and uh, obviously there's grave concern at that. Uh, there's two ways you can get round that. One is get rid of the board and put the new people in place but that won't happen by the time the money is due in August right so mm. so there will be a problem there the second way is that the when you had issues with the with with the Olympic Council uh, even though they had stopped their funding they found a way when they made incremental progress they were able to say right well, on a case by case basis yes we'll give you your money so there may be a way and I hope there is a way mm. Uh, that the clubs can get the money and the people can be paid, the 57 people who are employed, in in a way that's transparent uh, based on changes that are happening within the FAI and its management. So, I, you know, it's a way around it. Mm. Uh, you know, but they, we can't, uh, the government can't and the doll can't, mm. uh, have what's happening at the moment continue so yeah, nor, uh, nor yeah. allow yeah, but I think young if you people put, or clubs to suffer yeah, as a yeah but a, if, a if you put the right person in charge yeah. mm-hmm. and if you have maybe an outside chair like I, I, mm. I'm not naming anybody because mm-hmm. I don't know who it might be but take Brian Kerr for a sure, sure. Yeah. Why, somebody mm. like him who, yeah. you know, I'm just saying somebody who everybody knows everybody knows they're, they're the business and mm. they could make a huge difference and get everybody 
working again okay. and put all that stuff mm-hmm. behind us. Well, there's very much a, a work in progress, it uh, if we can yes. put it that way. Uh, thanks uh, for talking to us about that. Fergus O'Dowd is uh, the chair of uh, the Oireachtas Committee on Sport. And whilst you're with us, you're also uh, a local TD. And uh, I should mention to our listeners that you've made representations on my behalf to the Minister for Business, Heather Humphreys, because of uh, the experience I had buying tickets uh, from the Viagogo secondary selling site. Uh, People will know that my... Uh, account of it was that I was sold invalid tickets. I, I took a complaint to them and was eventually refunded. Uh, but I, I believed it, it uh, highlighted a real problem that there is for consumers. Uh, you've taken that issue to the Minister. The Minister has responded. We'll hear what the Minister had to say in a couple of minutes' time. But first of all, to say thank you to you for taking an, inter- no an interest in this and taking it up sure. with the Minister. And uh, it does appear as though the Minister is determined to take action a- against companies like this or in support of consumers more to the point absolutely and i mean you can't nobody can be out of pocket for acting in a, in a, in a just and honest way so you, we must protect consumers at all times consumer is king and if there's legislation or pressure needed you know it's up to us as politicians to make sure the system responds and people are held accountable and most importantly that people get their money back Okay, well, we'll hear what the Minister had to say in a, a moment. But Fergus O'Dowd, Finnegale TD for Louth and Chair of the Oireachtas Sports Committee, thank you for coming in to us today. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now, to that issue of uh, the tickets uh, that I bought personally on uh, the Viagogo website uh, for a concert, uh, and I wasn't happy. But this has very little to do with me in reality, uh, and it should be said from the outset uh, that I have subsequently been reimbursed my money a refund was made to me but after a lot of hassle uh, and indeed an awful lot of correspondence but I do believe that it is an issue of consumer protection and uh, because of that we've uh, taken this uh, to a different level if uh, you remember the story you'll know that I bought these four tickets and uh, that I felt that uh, I had been sold invalid tickets. The reason for this was apart uh, from uh, the expense of the tickets and so on uh, what I had purchased were printed tickets which were to be kept as a souvenir. It sounds very special doesn't it? Uh, And they were to arrive by courier. But instead of uh, these printed tickets which could be kept as a a souvenir I received barcodes by email nothing else on them and the venue involved said that they were invalid and that admission would be denied. I asked for a refund and as I say it was only after we highlighted the issue on the programme and Minister Helen McEntee intervened uh, that Viagogo eventually decided to grant that uh, refund to us. We contacted a, a number of Oireachtas members. One of them was Fergus O'Dowd as we were hearing a few moments ago and he contacted uh, the Minister for Business Enterprise and Innovation and Heather Humphreys wrote back to Fergus O'Dowd yesterday saying Dear Fergus thank you for your recent email. In closing correspondence from a constituent Michael outlining his unsatisfactory experience with concert tickets purchased from the secondary ticketing platform via GoGo. Secondary ticket platforms make much of the guarantees they offer ticket buyers. Viagogo's guarantee states that buyers are guaranteed to receive valid tickets in time for the event. If a problem arises, Viagogo will step in to provide comparable replacement tickets for or a refund. On the basis of the information provided by Mr. 
Mr Reid. The company failed to provide valid replacement tickets and, at least until the publicity given the case on Mr Reid's radio show on LMFM Radio, a refund of his payment. As you note, Mr Reid's case raises clear consumer protection issues. The enforcement of Irish consumer protection legislation is the function of an independent statutory body, the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission, CCPC. Section 9.5 of the Competition and Consumer Protection Act 2014 provides that the CCPC is independent in the performance of its functions. You will appreciate that as investigations and enforcement matters are part of the day-to-day operational work of the work of the Commission, I as Minister have no direct function in these matters. Section 43 of the Consumer Protection Act 2007 provides that a commercial practice is misleading if, first, it involves the provision of false information or would be likely to cause the average consumer to be deceived or misled in relation to a range of matters, including the availability of goods or services at a particular time or place, the method or date of the delivery or supply of goods or services, and the handling of consumer complaints about goods or services, and secondly, if it would be likely to cause the average consumer to make a purchasing decision that he or she would not otherwise make. Section 47 provides that a trader who engages in a misleading commercial practice under Section 43 commits an offence. Section 46 of the Act further provides that a commercial practice is misleading if it omits or conceals material information that the average consumer would need in order to make an informed purchasing decision and that the practice would be likely to cause the average consumer to make a purchasing decision that he or she would not otherwise make. I note from Mr Reid's correspondence uh, that he has contacted the CCPC in the matter. Had he not already done so, I would have referred his email to the CCPC for consideration. Experiences such as those described by Mr Reid confirm me in my determination to enact legislation to regulate the secondary ticket market. As you will be aware, the government in July last year approved my proposal to support and make a number of amendments to the private members' prohibition of above-cost ticket touting Bill 2017. The bill passed second stage in the Dáil and I intend to introduce introduce a, a number of amendments to it at committee or report stage. While there has been some delay because of uh, Brexit, I aim to ensure that the legislation is enacted at the earliest possible date. Our thanks to the Minister for Business, Enterprise and Innovation, Heather Humphreys, who has obviously taken this uh, very seriously and uh, sees a number of problems with how Viagogo treated me and undoubtedly others. Our thanks too to Fergus O'Dowd uh, for passing on that correspondence. And we will make that correspondence available online. I know it was probably complicated uh, to absorb listening to it on on the radio this morning, but if you have been uh, affected by Viagogo or by purchasing or using their service, uh, well, perhaps uh, the contents of this letter will be of help to you, let alone of interest to you. Now, it's Wednesday morning, meaning uh, the local newspapers are in your shops. Let's find out what's on uh, the front pages. Maggie McGuire is here, and you have the papers in front of you there this morning. We're going to start this week in Drogheda. Yeah, we're going to kick off with the um, Drogheda Leader this week, and uh, their front page headline reads, The City Once Again, um, where they're covering 
the fact that the campaign to make Drogheda City with its own council um, has received a major boost in recent weeks when um, a motion at a Delique area meeting was passed by East Mead councillors. Um, basically, they're going to open immediate, or they passed a motion to open immediate dialogue and correspondence with Drogheda councillors with the objective of building a closer cooperation between the two areas. Um, this long-awaited motion, as the paper describes it, um, was passed without need for a vote, passed and adopted without mm. need for a vote because it came in with no objections. And um, the report in the paper goes into great detail about the fact that all of the councillors, um, particularly uh, Councillor Stephen McKee, because he's the one who brought forward the motion, uh, spoke at length about the need to encourage a greater cooperation between the two areas, that by working together, you know, the it was a better way of ensuring that the area, the Drogheda East Mead area region meets its full potential a lot in front and they, they all believe that by working together they're going to bring more success for the region. Very good and uh, it's a story that's not been overlooked by the Drogheda Independent. Let's put it on its front page as well. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's following the same story, talking about the need for greater cooperation between councillors in the area because it it means better representation for the people in the area as well. So they've gone into quite detail into detail on that story as well. And then in the Mead Light section of the paper we have a local public representative Jim Tennessy uh, speaking to Hubert Murphy saying, telling him that he's been the victim of verbal abuse in the street um, after he called for action to be taken against people involved in ongoing antisocial behaviour in RD Town he said he called for the action because he wants to, uh, to stop decent people from being impacted by the actions of a few in the town and as a result he's received what he describes as horrific abuse which he's had to, to report mm. to the Gardaí obviously and okay. get them to investigate it further. The long weekend on the way Maggie and Easter revellers making for the front page of the Argus and Dundalk. Absolutely yeah and it's a story we're going to be covering ourselves shortly on the programme as well with um, Councillor Anton Waters he's actually going to, he's quoted in the article but he's going to be speaking to us shortly um, but he, it's concerns been expressed by residents in the Carlingford area that they'll see an influx of drunken revellers into the village over the Easter week and apparently this has been a problem for them in the past and obviously in light of tra- tragic events in the area over the last Bank Holiday weekend and St Patrick's weekend where there were three tragic deaths in the area um, uh, questions are being asked about the level of security and is there a need for more security to avoid further incidents this weekend so um yeah, there's a lot of concern being expressed and Councillor Waters, um, whom you're going to be talking to, is saying that, you know, the time can be very difficult or that that weekend can be a very difficult time for the area. So he's asking for action on it. Mm. And then in the inside pages of the Argus, uh, Councillor Maria Doyle, the Vice Chair of the Loud County Council, is highlighting the importance of collaboration to ensure the futures of our towns at a recent um, workshop for border towns it was hosted by the Heritage Council, Loud County Council and the Dundalk's Bid Programme and those attending the workshop heard from a wide range of speakers about the need to bring about or to bring all of the historic border towns together so that they can work towards integrating business, residential, social, leisure and public spaces into their towns and to make them more durable and and long-lasting. Okay, and uh, the concern of uh, residents in Carlingford uh, about people partying on the streets also makes for the front page of uh, the Dundalk Democrat. It does, yeah. The concerns have been echoed again on the front page of the Democrat. Um, And, you know, obviously the security measures have been brought into question um, as well in that paper as well. And then on the inside pages, we have details of good news with um, details of a €300,000 boost for two local um, loud peace projects. Aut Nadini in Dundalk was awarded nearly 
nearly 180,000 for a 21 month project in the town where basically they work with uh, disaffected Republicans, young people, families and local residents um, who have been impacted or have had issues relating to the conflicts. And then the other beneficiary in this case is the Ardian District Community Trust which was given 140,000 for an 18 month project in Midloud where they work to support at risk local young people and they challenge the culture of silence and control in the area by paramilitary organisations. So it's great to hear mm. that you know valuable projects like mm-hmm. that are getting support. Oh, no, absolutely and uh, some other good news uh, in uh, the Democrat uh, and uh, a focus on Irish uh, girl, girl guides. Girl guides, yeah. yeah that's I'm it. sorry. <laughs> yeah, okay. Girl that's guides, not guide girls. <laughs> that's outside, <laughs> okay, yeah. that's, oh, that's what I was saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, basically, um, there's a great article highlighting um, the appointment of Dr. Neve Shaw as an honorary ambassador for the Irish girl guides um, at their annual council meeting last weekend. Um, Dr. Neve Shaw is an award winning space explorer, a science um, communicator, and obviously a Dundalk native. And she was chosen for the role in recognition of the trail that she's blazed for girls and women in Ireland with her work. And she is absolutely over the moon, um, pardon the pun, with uh, the role and with the appointment. And she's describing it as a huge honour and says that she's looked forward, what she's looking forward to most is empowering other girls to pursue what they're most passionate about in life. Okay, it's a, a busy week in uh, the Papers in Dundalk uh, this week. A great variety of stories. Uh, the leader uh, has a, a very different story and an attack on off-duty Garda cars. Yeah, um, we have Deputy Peter Fitzpatrick um, condemning the recent arson attack on the private cars of three Garda in Knockbridge um, last week. And he's calling on authorities to do everything in their power to bring those responsible to justice. Um, he's calling for a full investigation to get to the bottom of what he's describing as a cowardly and disgraceful act. And he stresses that he's going to be raising the issue with the Justice Minister and calling for greater protection for off-duty Garda. Okay, well, as I said earlier on, I don't think I need to remind anybody we're uh, going into the long Easter weekend uh, and uh, that hasn't escaped the attention of uh, the Meath Chronicle. Absolutely. Yeah, there is a bit of an Easter theme this week with our front page story. And um, bad news for anybody who's planning to go out for a quiet drink in their local Indrum Condrat this Friday evening um, because you'll have to rethink your plans as the three pubs in the village have all agreed to stay closed for um, Good Friday again this year. It's the second year in a row um, that they've all agreed to do it and, it. and they have said that they're doing it to maintain the long-standing tradition of pubs being closed on Good Friday. Uh, the three publicans involved, Dermot Muldoon, Pauline Fay and Pat Dempsey, say they're taking the step because because traditionally um, publicans only have two days holidays in the year and it's the main deciding factor for them because it gives them a chance to wind down and spend some time with their families. It's only one day after all, they say, and they say they've actually got a lot of support from their customers over the decision. Okay, criticism then of some red tape. Absolutely. I'll finish up um, this week. It's it's an assertion from uh, the director of the Broomfield District Residents Association Jared Weldon. He's saying that bureaucratic nonsense is strangling local community groups because they've been forced to navigate never-ending amounts of red tape and compliance procedures just to carry out voluntary work in their local communities. Um, he's saying that um, he's calling for all community organisations to be given the same status as sporting organisations because they're exempt from registering with the charities um, regulator. And he's saying that you know it's got to a situation where the process has become so complex for voluntary groups that a lot of people are asking why should they bother mm. getting involved in the first place because there's so, so many uh, procedures to go through and kind of hoops to jump through that people are saying why would we bother and obviously that's a massive worry because as he says in his art, as he says in the article volunteers um, are the life and soul of every community our communities wouldn't be what they are without them and um, this mountain of paperwork and training schemes is unbelievable and people are being put off and, it's, and you know communities are going to suffer because of it. Mm. 
Okay, well, if people don't bother, no doubt they will. Uh, they're mm. just uh, some of the stories from uh, the Meath Chronicle and indeed uh, the local papers uh, across Louth and Mead this week. Uh, if people want to comment on those stories, you'll be back in a few minutes' yeah. time with all of the comments that do come to us today. Uh, I do want to mention as well that we'd uh, Father Sean Healy of Social Justice Ireland on the programme on Monday. The Department of Employment Affairs and Social Protection has been in touch with us and asked us uh, to clarify that there is a roadmap for pensions reform and it contains a commitment to set a formal benchmark target of 34% of average earnings for state pension contributory payments and institute a process whereby future changes in pension rates of payment are explicitly linked to changes in the consumer price index and average wages. A spokesperson for the department says with regard to other social welfare payments, the Social Welfare Pensions and Civil Registration Act 2018 contains provision that the Minister shall consult with stakeholders on examining ways in which social welfare rates are increased with the aim of ensuring adequacy for all recipients. The Department has been consulting with stakeholders on approaches to social welfare rate increases and views will be considered in any approach ultimately decided upon. At no time has the Minister ever suggested that rates will be benchmarked to the Consumer Price Index. No decision has yet been taken on the precise indexation methodology to be applied to increases. Our thanks to the department for that statement. Michael Reed on LMFM. CE scheme supervisors are to strike for five days beginning the 13th of May. This was announced at a rally outside of Leinster House yesterday. Eddie Mullins, SIP2 sector organiser, joins us now. Good morning to you and thanks for taking the time to be with us. This is an ongoing and a long-running dispute for that matter, Eddie, isn't it? Unfortunately, it is. It's dating back to 2008 when the Labour Court uh, issued its recommendation. Uh, And it's been ongoing for 11 years since that time, unfortunately. All right. And the recommendation was uh, that uh, those supervisors of CE schemes uh, would uh, be signed up uh, to a contributory pension. Yes, that they would sign up to, to a pension and that the discussions should commence with the funding agency, i.e. the government, uh, in in relation to that matter. So here we are uh, over a decade on and uh, it hasn't happened. Why not? Um, I suppose for a period of time after the Labour Court recommendation, uh, 2009 or so, there was some discussion and there was a lot of investigation into it and there was a lot of money set aside to to cover it uh, and that was set aside in the budget at the time. And then, of course, you had the the recession and it hit deeply um, and that money was taken out of the the allocation for pensions and it was obviously used to to deal with other matters. Um, We've been following this for quite a period of time when it became apparent to us around 2010 that that this is what had happened uh, and that we hadn't been told officially. We, We were asking questions and then we found out that the, the that this is what had happened um, in 2014. We were told by the department that they wouldn't fund it, uh, and then we had some meetings with the the minister of the time, Minister Porton, uh, and we met with Minister Donoghue at the time uh, on in in September 2015, where he agreed to resolve the matter uh, by way of gratuity for for people. Um, 
and he tasked the high-level forum to uh, try and find a solution to that matter. And a couple of meetings took place early in 2016, and then the government changed in 2016. And unfortunately, it has now been put on the back burner by the present government, who are not responding to our request for a meeting at the high-level forum, um, and are not responding to our uh, correspondence in relation to the matter. Who was who the employer, uh, the uh, CE scheme uh, supervisors uh, that you represent? Who are they employed by? Is it the government the, that's the employer? No, they're not. No, they're, the government are the funding agency. The mm. government, uh, they're, they're the shadow employer. Uh, the employer effectively is the sponsoring group. Uh, of there's the many of them, government. in other words. There's about 950 of them. Right. Uh, and this is the government's argument, uh, I think, uh, that it, it cannot pay a, a pension to people employed by private companies. Well, the government's argument doesn't stand up. First and foremost, the government said that they didn't uh, uh, weren't party to the, go- to the Labour Court. They did attend the Labour Court. They gave a written submission to the Labour Court and they partook in the Labour Court hearing. And that is recorded. Uh, in the Labour Court recommendation, so that is uh, uh, a fact that is uh, that is there. And a Labour Court ruling, though, is not a binding ruling. There is no obligation uh, to no. follow what uh, the Labour Court is recommending. And you would quite often see private companies ignore rulings by the Labour Court. But it is a little bit odd, isn't it, uh, for the government to ignore a ruling by one of the industrial arms of the state? Well, it, it's, it's terrible. Because as trade unions, uh, we're there uh, supporting the the uh, industrial relations process and being told that we must abide by Labour Court recommendations. And yet the, the government uh, has no interest in abiding by Labour Court recommendations. Um, it, it is a, a It calls into question the role of the Labour Court, doesn't it? Is it fit for purpose? If the government cannot or will not heed a recommendation from the Labour Court, uh, well, then you'd wonder why the government has the Labour Court in place. It really asks the question of the Labour Court. What is the construct of the Labour Court if the government of the day will not abide by uh, by the industrial relations process that they uh, put in place effectively? It really puts a question mark over the Labour Court. And as you've outlined to us, the government of three different days, three different administrations over the period of time since 2008. Yeah. Up to 2008, um, any Labour Court recommendation that came about for CE supervisors, for example, or for the community sector in general, was invariably honoured by the government of Mm. the day. Since that time, unfortunately, uh, it has been a total disregard of the Labour Court. And uh, none the more for that. There are other issues there as well. There are agreements that have been signed up by the state that have not been honoured by this government. In relation to community employment? In relation to community employment, there was uh, uh, an agreement dating back to 2002, again for CE supervisors, uh, on an enhanced redundancy agreement agreement for people that were to be made redundant and that agreement is not being honoured by this government. Okay and perhaps we can return to that but 
yeah. immediate issue, which is to result in five days strike in the middle of May. Uh, obviously, that will impact on uh, the people who withdraw their labour, your members uh, who are the supervisors. Uh, but you said there's over 900 uh, schemes uh, yeah. and each of them provide services to many yeah. thousands of people and employ many thousands of people for that matter. And all of these people are going to be impacted. There, there are 950 schemes, roughly. There's about 1,250 supervisor stroke assistant supervisors. And there's approximately 22,500 uh, participants in all of those schemes. Working in And they schemes. are potentially affected by this now. Mm. Okay, and then the people that uh, avail of the services provided on top of that? Yes, yes, absolutely. The means and wheels, the disability, uh, the elder care, child care, uh, drug rehabilitation, all of these schemes are potentially affected and the clients are, are affected by it then as okay. well. All right, uh, we'll uh, see if uh, there's a, a change of heart, obviously, before the 13th just, of May. Uh, yeah, very, ask, very quickly. ask one thing uh, very, very quickly. This all boils down to a request for a meeting with the minister mm-hmm. to try and resolve this matter. If that, uh, if the minister is prepared to meet with us in the short term, then we can avoid uh, this mayhem that's going to ensue. Okay, Eddie, thank you for joining us this morning. Eddie Mullins is SIP2 sector organiser. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Maggie McGuire is back and you have uh, some of uh, the comments uh, that have been coming to us uh, this morning, Maggie. Morning, Michael. Um, We've had a lot of reaction to our opening piece with Fergus in the programme this morning. Um, The FAI and the whole John Delaney story is still a a major talking point for people to the programme. Charlie was in touch to say that it's great to see politicians doing their jobs and standing up to big corporations such as um, FAI Ireland, especially when there's public funding involved. Um, Anne wants to know how John Delaney has been allowed to simply step aside in his new role while the rest of the board are fully resigning. Does that mean he could return to the job at some point and go back to being paid a massive salary? Mm. And um, Mary from Drogheda also wants to know if there's a, a, a chance that John Delaney will get a, a golden handshake if and when he leaves the FAI. And it's unthinkable yeah. to her that this would be allowed to happen, but it's looking more and more likely. Well, he may not leave. I not. mean, uh, I know that was the caveat, if mm. and when. Uh, he may not leave. Uh, he, he's on gardening leave at the moment, yeah, which means that... I mean, well, it's just a, a way, as Fergus O'Dowd explained earlier on, of saying uh, he's not working, but he's being paid uh, until uh, it's time to work again uh, and uh, he has stepped uh, aside temporarily mm-hmm. to allow uh, these reviews to take place uh, so by all accounts uh, Mr Delaney will be back in his role uh, and uh, will continue to be on the payroll and I'm sure uh, at whatever stage he decides to step down it will be his decision and there will be a package Okay, um, Martin is saying that it's the disrespectful attitude um, of John Delaney and the entire FAI um, board staff members um, for the investigations project that has been most um, most sickening for him to watch is what he's saying. He mm. said they have done everything possible to avoid having to answer, answer questions about their financial dealings and, and done their best to keep the public in the dark. He said they're a state funded organisation and they should remember that. Well, in fairness to John Delaney, he didn't answer questions on legal legal, advice Uh, and I don't know what that legal advice was or or what it could have been for that matter that would have prevented him answering 
uh, fairly straightforward questions uh, about why he gave this generous loan to the FAI. Uh, but uh, apparently uh, the advice, the legal advice that he got was not to answer the question. So I imagine he didn't mean to be disrespectful, even if people perceived it to be that way. Well, I mean, I suppose it's just watching mm. it uh, on the ice that if you don't know the full mm. ins and outs of it, it is frustrating to watch. You know, well, I don't think anybody knows the full ins and, and outs of it, of it except for John Delaney. This is it, exactly. Mm. Um, and staying with that story, Tommy was in contact with us following um, on from our interview. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mark Tai yesterday. He said he was delighted to hear Mark on the show. Um, mm, Sunday Times journalist who broke this story. Absolutely. And he called in to thank him actually for the great work that he's done mm. on this story and in uncovering the hidden workings of the FAI. Um, he feels that Mark has done a huge amount of work to hold the board accountable for how they've run the organisation in recent years. And because of this, it looks like we're going to have a sea of change within the footballing community and it's been long overdue. Okay. He says mm. the fans of the sport owe him a huge debt. Okay, well... It looks like it's the end of the old FAI in mm. the words of the Minister yesterday. Absolutely. Mm. Um, and Paddy is saying that the only way to restore public confidence in the FAI is for a clean sweep of the whole organisation, out with the old and in mm. with the new. Um, nobody would have any faith in the organisation if the old guards stay in place and they need the support of the public more than ever now to rebuild the organisation. Okay, well, we assume, but uh, it's not certain that that is gonna what's happen. going to happen. Uh, the board uh, will come forward with a, a restructuring plan at that AGM in July. Okay, and with that issue again, um, we had a different Tommy in contact with us as well in relation to um, Mark Ty. Um, he wanted to congratulate Mark for breaking the story. He says that it goes to show that there's still great work being done by journalists and that newspapers very much still have their place when it comes to breaking stories and keeping the public informed. People are constantly talking about the death of the newspaper industry, so it's important that we don't forget the important public, public service they perform. Mm, yeah, well, I, I think uh, everybody recognises uh, the work uh, that Mark Ty and the Sunday Times did in relation to the story and how uh, they put the information into the public uh, domain in the first place and then elaborated on it. Uh, Hold that thought for a a moment though because we're going to go to Carlingford and uh, you were telling us about the front pages of uh, the papers in Dundalk and how the papers are, are, are focusing on how 
The streets of Carlingford are being used uh, by party goers uh, and uh, there is fear that revellers will descend on Carlingford over the Easter weekend. Indeed, uh, you'd have heard Councillor Anton Waters uh, speak about this on LMFM News over the course of uh, the week. He joins us now. Good morning to you and thanks uh, for doing so. Why, why is Carlingford so popular with party goers? Good morning, Michael. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, well, look, I suppose Carlingford's popular because of the location and because because of how such a nice place it is, and especially when it's a, a bank holiday on both sides of the border, um, you see a, a huge influx of people over that bank holiday weekend. So it, that's kind of the reason why I've been calling mm. for um, the extra precautions to be put in place and anything we can do to help uh, reduce any uh, unnecessary anti-social behaviour to be done. Yeah, well, I suppose the Ring of Kerry will be pretty popular and uh, there's many pockets of the country that will be pretty popular, but uh, they're not the type of places that you'll see people walking the streets with cans of beer or bottles of spirits uh, partying, uh, as seems to be the case in Carlingford. And it's not just stags and hens by the sounds of it. No, like there'll be people from all over come. Like, don't get me wrong, everyone loves to enjoy the bank holiday weekend. I'll be doing the same myself. But it's just the anti-social element. Like, the guards have been doing a great job over the last two years to try and reduce this and to put in quite a significant effort to try mm. and reduce and curtail, like, so people bring and drink into the village. People can go and drink in the pubs and do whatever they want, but it's people bringing the drink in on buses, especially coming from the north. So, hence the reason why I've mm. been working along with uh, the council in Loud County Council and Newry Morning Down Council to try and raise some awareness of the, the alcohol bylaws which came into effect in on the 16th of August last year and also just let people know like, that there is fines for drinking on the streets so it's just a bit kind of a bit of respect for the area that people's coming into you know. Well the bylaws that came into law uh, and uh, people are still waiting for them to come into effect if you understand what I mean but if you look at other parts of the country I mean I think Kilkenny is uh, seen by many people as a, a party town but people are partying in the pubs why is it on the streets of Carlingford do you think? It's hard, it's hard to know exactly why Michael but it, mm. just, it just seems to be a lot of young people who are coming and they'd be drinking coming up the road and then they just finish their drinking on the street before they maybe go into some of the establishments so that's mm. kind of what's happening but again it's, it's just raising, raising a bit of awareness um, I had uh, requested that there was a, so, a social media campaign would be done everything's done on social media now Michael mm. you know yourself and it can hit a, a wide range in audience very quickly and just let people know that this is what's happening that Carningford sure. uh, and the people of Carningford deserve respect and like you can go and enjoy your weekend uh, without annoying anyone, you know. But is it just one of uh, these things that ballooned over a period of time where somebody decided uh, that they'd take their street, uh, their drink out uh, onto the street before they went into a club and others followed suit and before you knew it, it became uh, a practice and now it's a trend? Yeah, well, I, I definitely think uh, the Easter Bank Holiday Weekend in Carnival has become a bit of a, a trend, as you can see, over mm. the last couple of years because of the, the, the guard operation that has to be put in place to try and curtail it. So, yeah, it is a bit of a trend that we're trying to, to, to get, tackle, you know. Uh, and is it late at night or uh, what time are we no, talking about? No, it can go from early in the morning. So there will be a, a guard operation which will be stopping buses coming from the Omit side and searching the buses for drink. Do you mean one o'clock in the morning or... Oh, sorry, early in the morning as in round 12, 12 p- Right. Uh, 
12 to 1 o'clock. Which is uh, questionable. I think you'll go to European countries uh, and see people drinking on the streets, uh, but they're not revelling on the streets. Uh, and that's the picture that you're painting for us now, where it's rowdy, drunken behaviour. Uh, and that can be very unpleasant for everybody, but particularly of concern to parents. Of course, of course. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree, and hence the reason why I welcome the, the operation the guards are doing the last couple of years. It is definitely working. It, there's no doubt it's working, and I, I wanted other assurances that these other measures which have been put in place will also help to do this. Like, don't get me wrong, mm. I, I would love to see nothing and no problems in Carningford and Sunday. Please God, there won't be, and we won't have to talk about this anymore, and it'll just be something, a thing of the past, you know? Mm. And is there enough cell capacity? Yeah, <laughs> good question. Um, Ah, look, I, you don't like to see anyone getting in bother over things like this, but as I say, respect's a big thing and mm. have to respect the area they're coming into. And the so most likely they can expect a, a rap on the knuckles and yeah. to put the drink well, away. And to, well, look, yeah, you, you yeah, have to have yeah, a bit yeah. of no, common enough, sense yeah. as well. Like everyone, as I say, I said myself, everyone likes to enjoy the bank mm. holiday weekend. Mm. You don't go around with a big stick beating everyone with it. They just have to have respect and that's the key message that I would be getting out of a respect area you're coming into. Enjoy your bank holiday weekend and everyone has to go back to work on Tuesday. Okay, fair enough. And happy Easter, Anton Waters, uh, their Sinn Féin councillor in Louth. Let's go back uh, to some more of uh, the comments that have been coming to us this morning, Maggie. Um, Seamus was in contact with us in relation to the fire at Notre Dame. Um, he's wondering why there's been such a big fuss made about its restoration. There have been natural disasters destroying people's homes and killing people um, all over the world and he doesn't hear a quarter of the outcry. People are investing millions and millions in the restoration of Notre Dame and it's just a building. What about all the people left homeless throughout the world because of disasters or don't they matter? Yeah, uh, I I think you can probably separate the two. I think he's saying you can't, uh, but I, I think a lot of people would think that you can separate the two and that if you weren't to restore it and to rebuild it, uh, that that would be wrong and two wrongs don't make a right. This is it, exactly. And I'm just yeah. going to finish up with a comment um, from earlier in the week to the station. Anne was in contact with us. She was back in touch today, giving out to me because I haven't read out her comments. Oh, okay, so I'm going to, yeah. Well, it came in yesterday late, so I'm just going to, I'm just, I'm just going to read it today oh, for Anne. And she was in touch actually about a piece that we'd done earlier in the show when we spoke or earlier in the week when we spoke with um, Anna McHugh um, from On Post mm. about the new postal service been launched by their organisation aimed at giving homeless people a, a, and people an with no permanent address mm. an address mm-hmm. to get their mail at and she is welcoming the um, the launch of the service she's saying it's such an important service to provide but at the same time it makes her really sad to think that we're now living in a country where there is a demand for this service yeah. mm. why aren't we just doing more to tackle homelessness and why aren't government providing adequate housing for all of those in need well yeah she's right there is a, an easier way of giving people uh, an address, address uh, yeah. and I don't think we need to spell it out. Yeah, Alright, thanks for that uh, and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said, Maggie's taking calls now as is Ross and our telephone number is 1850 Michael Reed on LMFM Now if you were watching primetime television last night you would have seen a lot of concern about uh, the reluctance uh, that a lot of parents have in getting their children vaccinated or vaccine hesitancy and how to reduce it Uh, and it's not just an Irish problem, it's a a problem that is being felt worldwide with uh, the number of cases of measles rising by some 300% 300 across the world according to the World Health Organisation in the first three months of this year. We've had outbreaks of measles here and uh, the Minister says he's looking at ways of uh, making people 
uh, either vaccinate their children or encouraging them to vaccinate uh, their children, as uh, the case may be. Finnefall TD for me, these t- uh, Thomas Byrne is uh, the Finnefall spokesperson on education, and he joins us now. Thomas Byrne, uh, what about this uh, idea of uh, preventing children from attending school if they have not been vaccinated or creches, for that matter? Well, it's certainly worth considering, Michael. I'm a strong proponent of, of vaccines and even when political pressure was getting uh, on, on the other side of the debate, it's only a short couple of years ago that there was massive debate about the effectiveness of, and, and, and alleged risks of certain vaccines. I always stood up for vaccines because, let's be honest, who do we know now that has smallpox? Uh, we don't really know anyone in this country, certainly, that currently is suffering from polio or has mm. caught it recently. Mm. Uh, because smallpox, for example, has been completely eradicated. Uh, polio has been pretty much eradicated, certainly mm. from Ireland uh, and from many other countries, because of vaccines. And, and I think you're, that's you're probably going back to my parents' generation uh, for those type of diseases. My generation would have all had measles and all would have had mumps, for that matter. Yeah, and but but when we think of smallpox, if that was still on the go today, you're talking about millions of people dying every year. And people forget that with all this nonsense talk about pharmaceutical companies and conspiracy theories and all of this. Uh, these companies are highly regulated. Um, the vaccines are, in, in fact, sometimes there's public demand to put them put them on the schedule. Like, for example, with the HPV vaccine 10 years ago, there was a massive campaign to actually get that on. Then a few years later, people were saying, oh, no, what have we done? But the truth is, uh, it works. Uh, and these vaccines work. Um, and, they, you know, children need to get them. And the truth is that there are a very small amount of people who can't get the vaccines. Maybe they have cancer or maybe there's some other conditions that they can't take the vaccines. And they're at risk really from people who are unvaccinated. So if you make the decision not to vaccinate your child, you're certainly putting your own child at risk, and that's maybe a matter for yourself and your family, but you're also putting other children at risk as well. And I think that's the point uh, that people uh, don't really understand when they when they make these decisions or make these claims uh, about vaccines. And I think that's, that's an important point. I, I think private crashes, I think certainly if I ran uh, a private crash, I certainly would be strongly considering uh, not allowing children who weren't vaccinated. And it wouldn't surprise me to find out that there were crashes out there, childcare facilities mm-hmm. that don't allow uh, ch- children in who aren't uh, fully vaccinated, uh, if, if, you know, in accordance with the schedule. Yeah, um, and possibly killer diseases, uh, uh, as you say, uh, but otherwise just being very, very sick. I always remember hearing stories uh, about the hospital uh, in uh, the Phoenix Park, uh, which uh, I'm sure most people won't remember, that would have treated polio patients and the terrible conditions there that they were in uh, and how sick people were and the life-lasting effects of the disease. Yes, and there are certainly people around today who maybe suffered polio in their youth uh, who are still suffering from uh, the effects of it. Franklin Roosevelt, the American Mm. president, caught polio, couldn't walk, uh, covered it up actually for his presidency, but actually he actually spent a lot of time fundraising and working towards getting a vaccine and it's one of his main achievements that people don't remember actually at this point because we take it for granted. Um, TB still exists and it's still mm. important that people get the, the TB, the, the BCG etc. Mm. It's still there but we don't have the people in hospital in isolation that we had for years and years with, 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 with TB. Mm. Um, so these diseases have gone and I think people need to you know, get, get away. If, if there are people out there still listening to conspiracy theories, they have to know that there are people out there spreading conspiracy theories about vaccines, while the people who are supporting vaccines or promoting them have to go through 
serious regulatory processes at national and European level uh, to make sure they're safe and to make sure that they actually work. And but in there fact, have they been do problems work. with vaccines, though, haven't there? I mean, the yeah, HP1V, the, yeah. the swine flu vaccine. The swine flu, yeah. yeah, the, yeah. There has been, the, 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 there's no doubt there was a problem with the swine flu, and that is still subject to litigation. That vaccine was done uh, in a rush. Mm. And that's, that is, well, in that's my opinion, yeah. mm. it was done, it in, was done in a rush mm. at the time. There's no doubt. And that has caused, and I know, that has caused uh, medical problems and there are, there's litigation about that at the moment and it has caused devastation in, the, in the people that I know that have And the reason it. it was done in a rush, uh, some people will remember, is uh, that uh, there really was a fear that this would result in the end of humankind. Yeah, and I took the vaccine myself uh, yeah. at the time mm-hmm. and certainly our, our family took it, whoever was able to get it at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did cause adverse reactions. But I suppose the other side of that is that had we, had we not been vaccinated for mm-hmm. the swine flu, it is possible that a lot of people would have died. And that's that's the difficulty. Um, now, there are, there are legal issues there with that one. But there was a lot of talk a couple of years ago about the HPV vaccine. And yes, there were girls sick. There's no question about mm-hmm. that. But there was never any evidence presented or serious evidence presented that that was linked to the vaccine. Well, it was always rejected. And yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. The, 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 there's no evidence, and that's mm-hmm. clear. That is that is a vaccine that prevents. So there's a, a nine la- a online campaign. Uh, yeah, and it's completely which has put the fear of God into people, into young girls, and into their parents. And their parents have uh, taken a position. Uh, it's improved, I think, in recent times. Uh, but so there was a, a low uptake of the vaccine. Uh, improved probably because of the other scandal the cervical cancer scandal, yes. which is and what that vaccine point, is intended for. This is the point. When, when mm. this first raised its head, I asked Professor John Crown, I was in the channel at the time, at thought he said, John, what's all this stuff about the Gardasil vaccine? He says, I'll take you to meet one cervical cancer patient, is what he mm. said to me. And you see the damage cervical cancer does, the destruction it causes, the death it causes. And there was, and he, he explained to me very clearly that there was no evidence whatsoever mm. about, about Gardas have been ineffective. And in fact, the evidence was extremely strong. It was, in fact, it was proved that it prevented mm. uh, cervical cancer. And he said that it was a simple choice. Well, it is uh, proven. I mean, you go, you, oh, absolutely. You, you, and I, I don't expect any doubt. But at the but time... You, I mean, you go, to a, you go to Australia uh, and there is no cervical cancer or as good as no cervical yeah. cancer. And that's because of the vaccine. And that's that's what that's because of vaccines in a whole range of diseases, Michael, as well. And it's important that that message goes out. And we have to know as well that there are some countries like Russia who have been spreading anti-vax uh, information online in various guises over the last number of years. And that's the reality. I mean, if the one thing the European Union has done, if, if one thing it has done is protect consumers and make things safer. And when we're looking at these medicines... When we're looking at uh, vaccines, mm. the tests and scrutiny that they have to go through is absolutely incredible uh, before they get on the market. I think that we can come to trust that, uh, and we should trust it, and we look at the range of diseases uh, that have been completely eradicated. Mm. And it's time now to eradicate the rest of them. I mean, measles is certainly was around when I was young. It's, it should be unheard of now, and it is absolutely... Well, it was unheard of, I think, in the 90s. There was the internet, no, but I not... I in the 80s, it wasn't completely yeah. unheard of at that time. But, mm, but I, was... I think it was unheard of in the 90s, certainly in the early uh, unheard... 2000s. It should but... be unheard of at yeah, the moment. Yeah. And, and well, of course it should, right. because it had more or less been stamped out because of uh, the vaccine, uh, and we did have the internet at the time, but we didn't have the type of internet that we have now or the type of no, we had usage of social media and that type of thing. But no, but it, it's this commentary that is going online where people are saying, oh, this will give you uh, something else or whatever 
whatever the problem is, uh, you'll well, we get know about the big scandal with the MMR vaccine. Mm. I mean, that was promoted by a lot of newspapers down in the late 90s, early yes. 2000s. Mm. That has had a devastating effect. That has killed people, actually, who've got measles. Mm. And it's important to remember that. And it has not caused autism. Uh, that's absolutely proven. And I think that we really need to get real on that. I'm a really strong advocate of, of vaccines. We need to go with facts. Mm. We need to go with evidence. And when you when you do as I do, and I when, when the Gardasil campaign was going on, there was a huge amount of pressure. I was under pressure to, to allow emotion go through uh, from in the Shannon from Fianna Fáil. I was health spokesperson at the time. I refused to allow it because when I saw the evidence mm. there, and I didn't even have to ask my leader at the time, the evidence was absolutely clear. Uh, there was no way was I... Uh, getting involved in any campaign around Gardasil. And yet I met families who said they were affected by it and I treated them with sympathy and empathy. Uh, but it was very clear to me uh, that there was no evidence of that the, the, the vaccine uh, caused uh, the symptoms that they said. In fact, the evidence is that the vaccine stopped cervical cancer. And I think that that's something I think that has really struck a chord with people. Unfortunately, people have had to die um, you know, with cervical cancer and, and hopefully with, the, with 100% or as, as close as possible to it uptake of that vaccine we won't have the deaths uh, and the destruction that cervical cancer causes in future years. And, you know, my hat's off we, mm. to pharmaceutical companies in a way. If, 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 if they're investing and they're trying to find ways uh, to make us better, as, as, as they have done, they're the people who make medicines. I mean, the state hasn't. Mm. And university researchers, etc., and scientists uh, working in universities as well. You know, we need more of that. We need to support that type of research uh, to make our lives safer, to make us healthier uh, and, and, and to prevent unnecessary death. But it, it does say a, a lot about the world that we live in today, not just that this information is being spread to us or fed to us, uh, but that we're eating it uh, and we lap it up to a, a large degree. Now, I think the point was made pretty well on the television last night so that people aren't acting in this way where they're not having their children vaccinated or they're hoping that other children who've been vaccinated will protect uh, their uh, children uh, through that herding uh, uh, approach, mm. as uh, the case may be, but uh, they're fearful and they're trying to protect their children. But that's because they're reading this stuff uh, on the internet. Yeah, but the herd say. immunity will only work if, if as many as possible are, are, are immunised. So you know, mm. the starting point has to be to get the vaccines. You're not protecting your child if you don't get the vaccine. And we're below it now. Office. We're at ninety-two percent of the MMR vaccine. MMR, yeah, and it should be ninety-five. You're not protecting your child mm. if you don't give your child the HPV. You're putting them at risk. Uh, of cervical cancer in later life. That's just a fact. But there's a, a question over what can be done uh, because uh, there are constitutional uh, protections uh, as well and uh, this uh, could be in breach of bodily integrity. Yeah, well, I don't think anyone's ever going to be able to force you to take a needle or take a tablet. That's never going to happen. Uh, but the state has an interest in protecting the health of the population and public health. If, if the state has any functions at all, mm. it is to protect our general health and to make sure that infectious diseases don't run rampant. So the state is entitled to take measures. And I would say as a starting point, I think private creches would be well within their rights uh, to check the immunisation schedules of, of children going in. I think schools as well, it's clearly a more difficult issue, but I think uh, that it's something that needs to be looked at. My, my difficulty with the Minister Simon Harris's approach on this is that he seems to muse about these things on Twitter, when what, what's needed actually is uh, a proper plan, a proper thought yeah. uh, going into how do we actually deal with these things. Replying to somebody on Twitter as Minister for Health with an announcement of policy is not the way to bring in policy. Uh, has, that, that's what he's done before a number of times and it has only led to, 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 to harm, really. So, look, we've got to think this through carefully. There's arguments about it put forward before that maybe children's allowance mm-hmm. would be subject to it and there's certainly merit in that. 
Um, there's also merit, certainly, in, in the schools issue, but there is the But you still face right. that same constitutional dilemma, do you? Because uh, whether you're forcing somebody or uh, there's uh, an implied way of forcing them, the end result is uh, the same, is it not? Well, the Constitution, Michael, is, is not about individual rights, really. It's about the balance of individual rights and the need, needs of society. So there's always a balance to be struck when, when you're looking at the Constitution. I think that that's the question now that will have to be looked at very seriously, maybe by an Oireachtas committee, uh, maybe by uh, a team of lawyers. What is the What balance can we strike here versus some people's individual rights uh, and and the greater good uh, of society and the protection of public health. And that's, I think, that's yeah. something that we have to look at very thoughtfully and very carefully, but very the quickly one, too. The, the wonderful thing, uh, if it was to transpire, is we don't need to go down that road at all. We just need people to heed what's being said and to vaccinate and get vaccinated and to have their children vaccinated. Yeah, and it needs politicians as well mm. not to latch on to every latest uh, claim but to look very seriously at the evidence that's in front of them and the science behind everything uh, and to look at these things thoughtfully and to ask questions of people who are experts. And that's what I hope I've done over the last number of years when this controversy has been raging. I think we all need to do that and then explain our positions and not be afraid to explain our positions uh, when the science is on our side. Uh, Because certainly three or four years ago, there was huge pressure uh, on the other direction. And I think quite a number of people resisted that. But at the same time, it was difficult as well because um, certainly there was, you, you were meeting people who were making, you know, were claiming that they were seriously affected. And there was un- undoubtedly, these were, these were sick people, uh, sick girls, uh, but the evidence was not there uh, that it was linked to the Garrison vaccine. All right, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thomas Byrne is Fianna Fáil's spokesperson on education and a TD for Me East. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now, as you heard on LMFM's news uh, this morning, shots were fired at a house in Rathmullen Park in Drogheda at around midnight. Let's uh, talk uh, to local Labour Party councillor Paul Bell about this. Good morning to you and thanks for Good joining morning, us. Michael. What have you been hearing? Well, correct to say that the news report on LMFM was quite accurate this, uh, t- today and that there were a house in Rathmullen, there were two shots uh, discharged at around 12.30 a.m., uh, there were three individuals in the home uh, and no one was injured. Uh, by the way, by chance and by luck, no one was injured uh, because the shots did enter the home through the glass panels uh, and were lucky enough that nobody was hit. The gunmen entered the home, was it? No, they were fired from outside the home. I beg your pardon, it, the shots it, entered yeah, the home. Yeah, yeah. It, it, mm. it, it, it seemed that it was a shotgun that may mm. have been used. But again, that's a matter the guards are obviously investigating. Uh, the issue the issue here, Michael, is that uh, the family at the who are the victims of this attack, uh, I spoke to one of those people this morning, and that family is absolutely distraught. And I want to make it clear, uh, the family has no criminal involvement with anybody. Uh, and they are victims of a crime. Uh, they are being subjected to ongoing attacks. Mm. And basically, uh, what is deeply concerning for them and for the community as a whole is where individuals can literally, with impunity, wander around the streets uh, with firearms unchallenged. Yeah, a point we've made before uh, on the programme, and uh, it seems to be a, a, a noddity that has become a regular occurrence in uh, the town of Drogheda. Uh, just back up a, a little bit, if you would. You said the shots came through glass panels. What, what, what do you mean by that? Through windows, was it? Well, of course, as I understand it, one of the shots went through the glass panel at the side of the door, the right. front door, and the other shot was uh, through the window. Okay. So, 
like this was aimed at terrorising that family. So, uh, so, so the, the first bullet ended up in the hallway, was it? A, yes. a, a, and the second bullet upstairs or downstairs window? Well, it seems to be downstairs. So but in, I, again, into the uh, living room, was it? Sorry? Into the living room, was it? Into the, as I understand it, yeah. into the living room. And, yeah. and were people in the living room at the time, do you know? uh, I understand not. Uh, luckily mm. enough that the, the, uh, most of the family were upstairs at the time. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to get a, a picture yes. of what happened uh, so that we have some understanding of how serious it was. Uh, uh, it yeah. was obviously very serious, uh, but thankfully nobody was killed because that's quite often what happens uh, with bullets when they're discharged from firearms. Uh, now, you said there were three people in the house, three adults, or can you tell uh, us more? One teenager and two adults right. and mm-hmm. the, the family members, uh, and uh, they were obviously terrified. Uh, the the guardie were contacted and r- arrived promptly on the scene. Obviously, by, by that time, the... Uh, the criminals had left the scene. Uh, but what's really concerning is that the community in Rab Mullen are basically feeling that they're under siege. Mm. And this type of crime, as you are saying, Michael, mm. is while it's not necessarily the norm in this particular estate, it is that this is becoming what's regarded as the norm in our town. But I would have raised issues before about ongoing activity, people being threatened in the Ratmullen estate in St. Finian's Park, and unfortunately has escalated to this. Uh, I have serious concerns about this because the, 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 the community are asking for help. They've been trying to get help there for some considerable time, uh, both with the involvement of the local authority mm. and on Garda Corner. Uh, and uh, thus far, I, I've been less than satisfied with the response of the council in one instance. Uh, uh, but uh, a Connor can only respond to the calls that are made to them. And obviously, they can only act on these issues when they have the intelligence. And the intelligence comes from the community. And I do know there are many fine people in the area who have been trying to defend their community against this escalation in crime. Uh, and you were speaking with this family this morning. Uh, yes. What did they understand of what was happening when these shots were being fired at their house did they know they were coming under fire I think it was only after I think the shock of it, it took some time to understand that actually that the house had been attacked uh, but there was a fair serious crash of glass uh, with the fourth shot so that's they did I think they did understand what was happening they, they're in a state mm-hmm. of disbelief uh, obviously that this this has happened um, they had been subjected to other acts of uh, violence, uh, and they've had the Gardaí have been investigating those models uh, as other incidents had happened in the estate. And was it the family that was, was it the family though that made the emergency call, or did somebody else? Uh, call I, the I don't understand. I don't actually understand mm. that, uh, but I do know mm. that the neighbours did respond fairly quickly. Well, I was just going to ask that. Uh, yeah. uh, it was relatively early, around half twelve, I think you said. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of people were still up, or would have been woken by it, perhaps. Yeah, and would have been most, looking of, the, the most of the community was woken by yeah, the yeah. by the discharge of the shots. Yeah. Uh, and were the gunmen seen? Uh, my understanding that uh, some members of the community did see people leaving the area. That's my understanding. But again, I could not confirm that, Michael. Mm. And, uh, and I'm also conscious, obviously, that there is a guard investigation ongoing, as there would be into what is really a serious crime. Mm. Okay, but do we have any more information where uh, any people were involved? Were they on foot or did they drive away? Well, my understanding is, Michael, from from other people in the community, uh, that there were a proc- uh, they believe that there were two people involved. Okay, and you said that uh, the family are not involved in criminality. Uh, they've made this very clear to you, but they have been the subject of a, a number of attacks. 
Well, my understanding has been a, a, a number of incidents uh, in that area uh, and in, on that premises. Uh, again, Gardaí are well aware of that. They have been dealing with it. Uh, and that's what that's what I understand, uh, but I I do feel that sometimes that there's a an, an understanding or sub a sub understanding of mm-hmm. the public that maybe when people are attacked they're actually involved in something, and I feel it necessary as a public uh, a public representative uh, in in that area to make it quite clear uh, that this family, like other families who are subject to this kind of attack are actually nothing to do with anything. They're not involved in criminality. They're not involved in any antisocial behavior in the community. And they're just trying to get on with their lives. And I think that point needs to be made very strongly. These are innocent victims, and that's what's ongoing. And the, the problem is, this is a settled community. It's a long-established community. Uh, and this type of activity is being brought in there, uh, probably from people from, from outside the area. But nevertheless... Uh, I do believe that the community can help the Gardaí in resolving these crimes, and they need to be resolved because, as you made it quite clear, the discharging of shots, either someone gets maimed or someone gets killed, uh, and the more of this activity that, that is ongoing, it can only get worse and eventually lead to a fatality. And why would somebody be shooting at, at that house? That must be the question that the neighbours are asking, uh, and indeed other people for that matter, and they accept fully what you're saying, that they're not involved in anything, nor have they ever been, but uh, is it that somebody thinks uh, that they're guilty by association? We've heard uh, this sort of uh, concern in the past where somebody knows somebody else or is related to somebody else who may be involved in something. Well, I couldn't comment on, on the, the reasons for, for, for this uh, particular attack, Michael, but I do know this, is that such an activity is a criminal act. Uh, it's an act that can't be tolerated, uh, and those who are involved in this uh, action need to understand that eventually uh, they will be brought before the courts. I mean, it's only a matter of time. Uh, what I'm trying to make sure is that the, the, the community is stood with mm. by myself, by the local authority and by the guards in every effort to try and bring this type of activity under control and to a stop. Uh, you would have had Chief Superintendent Mangan on your show not so long ago committing that all, all this type of behaviour would eventually be ceased. Uh, and I pray every day that it will be ceased because when you're talking to people who are the victims of these type of attacks or when you're talking to communities who are bracing themselves on a constant basis that some issue is going to happen, whether it's like the last incident in the area, which is not related to these uh, these particular people, um, whether it was a pipe bomb, where they, the armed services had to be called in to dispose of that device, which was viable, uh, whether it's people being intimidated in the home. Uh, for absolutely no reason, and there's some absolute power play going on in, in some communities where people feel terrorised that they can't open their mouth, they can't talk to anybody about the problems that are ongoing. So, I mean, I am uh, obviously, again, have to ask for a greater guard of presence. I know they can't be everywhere. Uh, a greater response to these type of crimes in the area because I want the community to be assured that they're not being forgotten about, that they're not being left behind. Uh, I have had no difficulty in over the last number of years in speaking out for that community because I could see things developing in a very, very serious way. And I do want the the the, the, the residents of Ratmullen and lo- local areas in close proximity to Ratmullen uh, that they are not being forgotten about, that everything that can be done will be done, but they need to be supported. Well, uh, as you say, uh, at that hour of the night, uh, still relatively early, late and all as it was, yeah. uh, there's a, a lot of people in a built-up area who would have looked out their windows and most likely have seen something. You'd have to assume that to be the case and you couldn't blame them if uh, they are 
afraid, if not terrified, to come forward with information. What would you say to people if uh, they're feeling that way this morning? Well, on occasion, Michael, uh, people uh, in Rathmullen Park and other areas of the town that were subjected to uh, criminal activity or witnessed criminal activity have had no fear in either contacting me or indeed other public representatives. And that information has been passed on to Angarda Corner. I'm also recommending that they would liaise with the community guard in the area, or if not, they can also use the Garda uh, confidential telephone line. Uh, the Garda Corner over the last number of months uh, have increased the patrols in the area, but again, with the the depletion of the force after Christmas that has not helped the situation and there are some individuals who believe they can act with impunity in not only Rathmullen but in other areas of our town Mm. and it doesn't have to be just uh, well established uh, states like that, it's happening in part of the town which are not known for criminal activity uh, and we are deeply concerned about that and these matters have been raised at the Joint Policing Committee, they have been raised in Council there are things that can be done in in, in some of the estates, in particular at Mullen, mm. that would help uh, maybe defend the community against uh, such behaviour uh, but there again these are criminal matters which are really matters for the Garda to prosecute but again Michael, yep. I am encouraging citizens who know anything and somebody always knows something mm. who's seen anything, no matter how, how little information they think they have to pass that information on to try and fight against this particular type of criminal activity. Yeah. And unless that happens, this is not going to cease. Well, we know, and unfortunately, we know from experience uh, that the people who behave like this uh, will fire shots at somebody else if uh, they're not uh, reprehended after this particular incident, uh, incident uh, and that is always uh, the case and we don't know what the motivation uh, for this was we do know that the family weren't uh, involved in any sort of criminality as you've clearly outlined to us but we also know that sometimes uh, these people get the information wrong and target the wrong house and it could have been the house next door or the house up the street or in another street for that matter and I'll just give that confidential telephone number if people do want to contact the Gardaí on the confidential line it's one eight hundred treble six treble one. that's one eight hundred treble six treble one. Paul Bell thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning Thank you Michael Reed on LMFM. Now we'll return to the rollout of the National Broadband Plan. If the plan will be rolled out and if it will cost as much as €3 billion. These are some of the questions put to the Taoiseach yesterday by the Sinn Féin leader, Mary Lou MacDonald. The government needs to spend a little bit more time uh, before we can bring a decision to to Cabinet uh, on this. As you know, the cost, uh, including VAT, contingencies and so on, uh, could be in the region uh, of €3 billion, uh, albeit spread over 25 years. But again, bear in mind the benefits. 540,000 homes and farms and businesses, over a million people. uh, A huge project um, of huge scale. Um, But we want to do this, and we want to do it right. And before we can bring a decision to Cabinet, we want to make sure that there is no better alternative. You asked about Plan B or Plan C or Plan D. We're examining all of those because we want to convince ourselves uh, that the cost and the business case and all of these things are deliverable, that it's done in accordance with the public spending code, that it's been technically reviewed, that international expertise and an outside panel has examined this, uh, and that all of the alternative ideas being floated by people um, are not better, that it can't be done uh, cheaper or quicker. And we want to satisfy ourselves of all of those things make a cabinet decision 
uh, and then bring it before the Joint Directors Committee and the Dáil for them to examine the facts as well. Thank you, Taoiseach. Deputy Mary Lou McConnell. Well, Taoiseach, you say that you, that you want more time, but uh, by way of response to a parliamentary question to my colleague uh, Chuck de Stanley, uh, we know that for over two years, 80 civil servants and consultants have been working on this tender process. We know that this whole process has been marked by delay. We know that that has generated massive frustration and impatience right across, right across uh, those rural homes and communities that you describe. And now you say you need more time. You've challenged me on, on using the terminology multiples of the 500 million. That's the, that's the phrase that you used yourself, Taoiseach. You said that it would likely cost multiples. So that's your language, not mine. What we want to know now is what is the final cost. And it's an astonishing thing, you know, that the head of government would take such a laissez-faire approach to final costings. I mean, you should have a view as to the affordability or the price range uh, of the state. And yet, it's very, in a very similar manner to your colleague, Minister Simon Harris, in relation to a hospital, a hospital that will prove perhaps to be the most expensive hospital ever built anywhere in the world, you persist with this laissez-faire approach. So I've asked two questions, uh, Count Corla. I'd like an answer to them. I actually asked three. Number one, the issue of cost. Number two, the issue of timing. And number three, what is the plan B if all else fails? We've offered you a plan B by way of using the ESB network, an established uh, network Deputy such please, as that. You've resisted that thus far. Will you consider it if it comes to it? Taoiseach, please. At, um, Deputy, I really think you need to pull out your Irish French dictionary and look up what the word laissez-faire means. There's nothing laissez-faire about this at all. Uh, we're, we're going into this one. In, we're, we're going into this one. We're going to this one into, uh, in excruciating detail. Um, you're, you're right. Um, those are my words. Uh, the final cost of this uh, will be uh, will be a multiple of the original estimate. But what you would never mention is the full truth. And there's a difference between the truth and the whole truth. This is a different project. The original estimate was based. The original estimate was, estimate was based on bringing fibre to 11,000 villages, not fibre to 540,000 homes, farms, and businesses and businesses in, in Ireland. And if we look at the scale, if we look at the scale, if we look at the scale of this project, Count Corla, we're talking half a million homes, farms, and businesses. We're talking about benefits for over a million people. We're talking about a project of the scale of rural, rural electrification, which took 20 or 30 years, and this will not take this long. We're looking at a project of the cost and scale of Ardna Crusha. And in relation to Plan B, yes, of course we're looking at other options. I said that earlier, Plan B, Plan C, Plan D. The problem with the Sinn Féin plan uh, is, of course, it's been considered. First of all, ESB pulled out. It would cost more. Uh, and, uh, and, and because of rules around state aid and procurement, you couldn't just award it to a state. Up. You would have to put it out to tender. So the Sinn Féin alternative, they pulled out, it would cost more, it would take longer. 
Taoiseach Leo Varadkar in uh, that exchange uh, with uh, the Sinn Féin President Mary Lou Macdonald during a Dáil leaders' questions yesterday. And, uh, of course, uh, another few voices in the background uh, throwing their tuppence worth in, but undoubtedly an issue that everybody takes very seriously and one we will be hearing about after the Easter recess, it would seem, at this stage. That's where our time runs out on us uh, for today. Before we go, let me remind you that there'll be a podcast of today's programme available on our website lmfm.ie this afternoon thanks to Maggie McGuire and Ross Leahy for researching the programme today and Chris Murray in the control tower I'm Michael, God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning Bye bye The Michael Reed Show podcast Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM To contact us, email now michael at lmfm.ie LMFM Podcasts, brought to you with Cartmacross Credit Union, where dreaming of warmer climates becomes a reality with a Cartmacross Credit Union holiday loan. O'Neill Street, Cartmacross or cartmacrosscu.ie. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.